as Christians to witness that satisfaction. And what's happening, if we're not careful, that dissatisfaction begins to creep into our lives. We're not happy with this. We're not happy with that. We're no, no. We have to get a different focus. And that focus is on Jesus Christ. So the days of our discontent, I hope, will end with our days of content. One of the most famous quotes from Augustine, which we're all familiar with, it's interesting, simple. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. And how true that is. I remember, uh, I think it was Ravi Zacharias's first book was, Can Man Live Without God? Well, I think we can answer that. No. We're not doing a good job of living without God. We need that anchor. We need that foundation. We need something that we can trust, something that is true. There's not a one of us that goes through the day, I bet you not a single day, that something is said by the media, and we say to ourselves, I wonder if that's true or not. Because we don't know anymore. So let's consider then the days of our discontent. And one of the simplest things to do when you want to uh, have a topical message is to look up a word in a dictionary just to see what the dictionary says. Discontent. Lack of contentment. But that was pretty good. I could have, I don't know. Maybe I couldn't have come up with that. Dissatisfaction with one's circumstances. A feeling of not being satisfied with your situation or with your way or with the way you are being treated. A lack of satisfaction with one's possessions, status, and situation. And I thought, it doesn't take long, does it? Even as believers, we, we find ourselves because we're bombarded. See, the media wants you to be dissatisfied. The government wants you to be dissatisfied so they can come in and help. So we're bombarded with dissatisfaction. We find ourselves, we're not, we're not content with our homes. We're not content with our husbands. We're not content with our wives. We want something else. I think sometimes parents wonder if they got the right kids when they brought them home from the hospital. They wonder, this can't be mine. So discontent is everywhere. Contentment then means this. The feeling or showing satisfaction with one's possessions, status, or situation. Gratified, happy, pleased. Now listen, contentment is not the same as being complacent. Complacent ends up meaning this, often without awareness of some potential danger or defect. Christians, when, when we talk about being content, we're not saying be complacent. Oh, it doesn't matter. It's not the case, sirrah, sirrah, whatever will be, will be attitude. No. Our contentment is anchored. We know where we're headed. We know how it all turns out. Oh, that reminds me. I don't know how many of you enjoy watching the Hallmark movies. I do. Can I tell you something? No, no I'm sorry. I do. I like watching it the second time better than the first time. Because I know exactly how it's going to end. Now, if you've watched several of them, you know how they're going to end anyhow. <laughs> 20 minutes before the end, everything falls apart. Five minutes before the end, everything comes back together. I'm always glad for that. I'm not making light of it, though, as, as Christians. 
It's all going to come back together. We read the last chapter. Isn't that wonderful to know? When you think your life is coming on, take, take, take charge and remember and know and be confident. God is in control. Philippians 4, chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 is where my text comes from. You're familiar with it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And we're going to develop that a little bit, but I want you to make sure you don't miss the, the key word there. I have learned to be content. This verse is in the, in the bulletin, but I, when I came across it as I was looking at words, verses with content, it's just from the message in Psalm 131. It says this, God, I'm not trying to rule the roost. I don't want to be king of the mountain. I haven't meddled where I have no business or fantasized grandiose plans. I've kept my feet on the ground. I've cultivated a quiet heart. Look at those next words. Like a baby content in its mother's arms, my soul is a baby content. The psalmist wanted us to see a contentment of being held by God. Most of us have seen, it's neat to see a, a, a mom doing different chores and the baby is either in one of those things that she, it gets held in the front or in the And you look and the baby is just as content as can be. Why? It's with his mom. It has that confidence. It has that sense of presence. And God wants us to have that, of being held by him and be a soul like a baby content. Came across a few things on discontent as the, as for introduction. In 2008, in a talk show, a man that had written the book, Why We Hate Us, talks about the part of Americans that, for the most part, Americans are dissatisfied with their own society. But he offers a solution, a return to some traditions that predate the 60s. And then the guy that was interviewing ends up with these words, you're right, we are morally, existentially, tired, disoriented, anchorless, and defenseless. That's where all this, but we're believers. That doesn't suit us. We're different. We know our anchor holes. Came across this article. There's this sense here that nothing is quite enough. You have to keep getting ahead in your career. You have to be active at the gym, take trips abroad, and know what's on the New York Times bestseller list, says a North Bethesda lawyer and father of two who lives in an airy contemporary home and whose household earnings exceeds $300,000. You're expected to keep up with all of it to be accepted, and this leads to feelings of emptiness. Then he goes on to say this, we, we are never content 
because we're always looking for something more. I see it all around me, and I feel it too. Sometimes I wonder, when is the bucket full enough? You see the emptiness and lack of contentment. A poem was written and sent in to Dear Abby a number of years ago. It was written by a teenager. She made note that we knew that it was written by a teenager. Listen to this. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted. The beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it's spring I wanted. The warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted. The freedom and respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted to be mature and sophisticated. It was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted, the youth and free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over. I never got what I wanted. The days of discontent are all around us. Kelvin and Hobbes, two great theologians, gave us this. Speaking of uh, getting older, I had to make myself a larger copy so I could read it. <laughs> I looked at it and said, I can't read that. Anyhow, it starts off like this. Any good mail today? Hmm, not really. Here's a, you're not covering the cost of all these mailing charity requests. That's a, those are the last three frames. I'm reading the first three, four. You've got a You're Not Attractive Enough woman's magazine with an article on swimsuits that minimize all your body flaws. Here are some You're Not Stylish or Untacious Enough catalogs and, uh, confidentially an and a confidently an invitation to go deeper in depth from a credit card company. And here's our news magazine to identify the trend of the week we're missing. And I got a hobby magazine featuring new equipment I ought to have. Yikes. Why do I get the feeling why do I get the feeling that society is trying to make us discontented with everything we do and insecure about who we are? I suppose if people thought about real issues and needs instead of manufactured desires, the economy would collapse and we would have anarchy. So I'm pitching this junk. So pitching this junk would make me some kind of terrorist, huh? Yep, it's our patriotic duty to buy distractions from, a, from the simple life. Then Kelvin comes in. Hey, Mom, I saw a bunch of products on TV that I didn't know existed, but I desperately need them. <laughs> that is the society that we live in. One more item for introduction. I heard this, and I thought, I, it was an ad on TV, and I thought, that couldn't be what I heard. So I researched it and found the, the ad. It's for a, uh, a resume website. Before nodding off to sleep, a boy asked his dad, what's it like to work? 
His dad, being very direct, tells his son that at first it's very exciting. Then, and he then says, after the initial excitement wears off, you'll quit. Begin the process of finding a new job so you'll start to wither away and repeat the process for the rest of your life. Then you die. No, no, I mean, serious. People are being programmed for discontent. That's horrible. And then the dad with a smile on his face says, good night, buddy. And he leaves the room, leaving the son to ponder what it's like just to live, to work. What a responsibility you and I have as Christians to be content. The problem we, that we feel today is probably more likely to come from overload than underload. When we are surrounded by so much information, we find it hard to sort out what is relevant and important and to find meaning in anything. We all remember the words of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? A man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The next question is this. What rule has God given to direct us on how we may glorify and enjoy him? And the answer is this. The word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. Where did it all begin? Where did this discontentment begin? You're right, in the garden. Its origin lies before the dawn of time. Satan was and still is discontented. For whatever reason was, was it, after all, jealousy that the real king of the angels was the son of God. He was not content with God's provisions or appointments. And the discontented always seek company. So the serpent deceived our parents. They in turn became discontented with being, the creaturely light, in, being in the creaturely likeness of God and they desired to be as God himself. Their folly led to our misery. So as we get into the message, I want to ask you kind of up front and then you can take it through the message to the end. Do you spread contentment or do you spread discontentment? See, discontentment loves company. You know, I had a I thought, and I, it's, it's, a, it's not a good way to illustrate it, but it's the only thing that came to mind. And if anything comes to my mind now, I'm thankful, so I'm going to go with it. <laughs> Everyone's at, the, at a banquet, and we all get the same meal. You eat your meal. Boy, that was good. Man, I really enjoyed that. The person beside you said, I thought the meat was a little dry. The vegetables were a little salty. And they go on with about four or five. By the time they're done, you didn't like the meal after all. But you started off. So I want, I want to be a person that spreads contentment because I know Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want, I want to live that kind of life that knows how to point people to but there is an anchor. You don't have to be discontented. So let's look at it uh, perhaps in three ways. That would work for me. Contentment is a perspective. Contentment is a practice. Contentment is a privilege. First then, contentment as a perspective. In Psalm 73, verse 24, it says this, the psalmist, 
Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. What a way to live. I have God. See, that's a perspective. We have to grab hold of that and know we have a different perspective than those that who do not believe in God. And underneath this, I want us to see concerning our curse, concerning our cares, and concerning our cause. First of all, concerning the curse. See, we have an eternal promise in Jesus Christ that we have, we'll spend eternity with him. That's taken care of. It, you know, there, there's so many commercials, and Proverbs tells us to be wise, be good stewards of what we have, and to prepare for the future. I'm not saying that. But there's so many commercials that tell us, do you have enough for the future? And then there's surveys, and, and, and most young people don't think they ever will have enough for the future. Let me tell you something. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? You've got enough for the future. Does it matter? It's taken care of. And we can live like that. So the first thing I wanted us to focus when I thought of perspective was concerning our curse. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. Death has been conquered. Paul said it this way, Where, O death, is your victory? Death has been swallowed up in Christ's victory. See, people think that People think this is all there is. I've got to go for everything. I've got to have everything now. How many commercials tell us you need it now? You have to have it now. Scripture says, no, the best is later. It's after our earthly now. Satan said to Eve, you, you will surely not die. Boy, was that a lie. Unless somebody here says that you ran into Adam and Eve recently, they're gone. He lied. Jesus frees us from the lifelong bondage of fear and death. Then not only, not only that, but then our sins are covered. Would you want to be, I wouldn't, would you want to be in eternity and be able to remember your sins? Boy, that wouldn't be heaven, would it? The joy of knowing that our sins are covered as well. If we want to enjoy the blessedness of the gospel, we have to be honest with the horror of our sin and know that they are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. John Piper put it this way, Christ didn't come to just forgive us our more respectable sins. He didn't absorb the wrath of God on behalf of our smaller sins. Instead, he came and has forgiven all of our sins. This is how we're able to be honest with the depth of our sinfulness because we trust that God will cover us with the depths of his mercy. Wow. But Lord, you don't know about this. In yes, I know. It's covered. But what about, oh, you know those insurance policy commercials you get sometimes? That's not covered. I'm sorry, that's not covered either. Or you call up your homeowners and say, oh, my roof blew up. I'm sorry, that's not covered. <laughs> not with God. It's covered. But, no, it's covered. Righteousness, righteousness has been given. 
in Isaiah chapter 61. It's beautiful verses talking about being covered in his righteousness. Isaiah 61 verse 10 and following. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As the bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as the bride adorns herself with jewels. Wow. Clothed in the righteousness, the garments of righteousness. Concerning our curse. What about concerning our cares? If we think still on the perspective of, uh, of our contentment. In verse 6 of chapter 4 of Philippians, it says this. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Don't be, but when we are, we find this verse in 1 Peter chapter 5. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Anxieties are those distractions. Cast as errors once for all. I like the way Max Locato put it. The presence of anxiety is Unavoidable, unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. Because see, again, I'm going to read you in a little bit a couple more verses that tell us of, of, of Paul's situations. It's not talk, being content is not being naive. It's not dismissing the, the grief, the pain that we go through in this life. It's understanding where to take it and how to handle it. The presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. Do not be anxious. Listen, do not be anxious. Is present imperative active, meaning don't let anxiety characterize your life. Psalm 77 says this. The psalmist crying out, Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he, has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, see, if you want to put that in our context, the psalmist starts off a little anxious here. Wait a minute. Has God forgotten to be gracious? That's a pretty big anxiety, I think. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Then I said, I will appeal to, thi I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I'll remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God? He came back to God. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this, But he said, Jesus speaking to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Sufficient to be content. That's what the word there means, sufficient. Be content. It's enough. God is enough. Miraculous power. First Peter, First Timothy 6, 7 says this. Chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. But godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, when, when I read something like that, Godliness with contentment is great gain. It makes me think, does that mean 
and I think it does, you can have godliness and sometimes be very discontent. Because if he says here, wait a minute now, if you put these two things together, do you have really gained something? A godliness, a sense of who God is. And then add to that contentment because you understand godliness. For who brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. Contentment then flows from godliness. We're still looking at perspective. We all enjoy, well, enjoy, we appreciate Solomon's honesty. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, it says this, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward of my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Simply without a godly contentment. That's what, to me, that's what Solomon's saying. He didn't have a godly contentment. So it was like nothing. The secular scaled-down version of Solomon's lifestyle shows up in the bumper sticker most of us have seen one time or another. He who dies with the most toys wins. Just a couple years ago, USA Today reports that majority of Americans in every age group feel that they have never discovered their destiny. There's no reason they should have. For once we cut ourselves off from the ground, means an end of both our satisfaction and our destiny. We simply starve to death spiritually. No satisfaction means no contentment. We see the curse, the cares, and now under the perspective, the cause. How do we handle this? First Peter chapter 2, verse 23 says this. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, these are important words. How are we going to be content? Listen. He entrusted himself to him who judges, judges justly. Can you trust yourself to the one who judges justly? To entrust means to surrender, yield up. Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says this. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. I came across this. Most of you have read Pursuit of God, and if you have, it's a short little book. I, somebody said about how they were, had read it a number of times, and I thought, I'm going to read it again. So I read it, just been reading it, just almost finished it again just a few days ago, but I came across this from A.W., well, he wrote the book, from A.W. Toes, and I thought, this is really good on being content and trusting ourselves to the one who judges. It talks about the conflict within. The heart's fierce effort to protect itself from every slight, to shield itself, to shield its touchy honor from the bad opinion of friend or enemy, will never let the mind have rest Continue this fight through the years and the burden will become intolerable. Yet the sons of earth are carrying this burden continually. 
challenging every word spoken against them, cringing under every criticism, smarting under each fancied slight, tossing sleepless if another is preferred, preferred before them. Such a burden as this is not necessary to bear. Jesus calls us to his rest, and meekness is his method. The meek man cares not at all who is greater than he, for he has, a, for he has long ago decided that the esteem of this world is not worth the effort. <laughs> Contentment comes from knowing who we are in the person of Christ and the child of God. Tim Keller wrote, If grace has really changed our hearts, we don't ultimately care if life goes the way we want it as long as we have him. The joys of acclaim, wealth, and power are nothing compared to eternal acclaim, wealth, and power we have in Christ. The believer realizes that the reason God's actions are often opaque is not because we are wise and he is foolish, but because he is too great and wonderful for us. A Christian should never have the attitude toward God, what have you done for me lately. Two, exam two examples of this, again, one from Paul and one from Jesus. Paul said this, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And Jesus said this in Mark, it's recorded in Mark chapter 14. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here, he said to his disciples, and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. How do we, how do we cope? Like Paul, focus on what's eternal. Like Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus wasn't questioning the power of God. He was yielding to the purpose of God. Contentment then is a perspective. Contentment also is a practice, and these last two points are very, very brief. Contentment is a practice. Philippians 4.11, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. St. Clair Ferguson put it this way, spiritual contentment is learned, it's not natural. And it is learned in situations that test us, as Paul indicates. When we are brought low and when we abound, contentment is the ability to be equally satisfied in both situations, not just one or the other, but in both. When we come to Jesus Christ, the curriculum is determined. The purpose of the class is contentment in Jesus Christ. It is not controlled by our circumstances. Proverbs 3.5 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
John Piper wrote. But what we need to remember is that every time we are, listen, this is, what we need to remember is that every time we are called to trust Jesus' promises over our perceptions and the devil's deceptions, we reenact what happened in the garden. And every time we exercise trust in, Every time we exercise trust in Jesus by obeying what he says, it smacks, it's a smack in the devil's lying mouth. Every time, every time we say, no, it's not that way, you're lying. It smacks in the devil's mouth. Ephesians 1.3, praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. This difference on which Christ insists is not one which takes a man out of the world. It makes him different within the world. Perspective, practice, and now quickly and lastly, the privilege. Walking with God. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Amos 3.3 says, Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? The message puts it this way. Do two people walk hand in hand if they aren't going to the same place? You've done that. You've been walking with somebody. You get to a fork in the road and you haven't discussed it and all of a sudden they're going that way and you're going that way. Like, oh, wait a minute. No. The only way we can do that is if we let go. And I'm not going to let go. Discontentment can only be reversed and driven out by an affection that is both greater than and opposite to it. Enter then the riches that are ours in union with Christ. We are to be well-pleasing to God. Alistair Begg wrote, The world seduces us with suggestions for happiness, wealth, power, the ideal weight, the bigger, faster, fancier possessions, but the acquisition of the, all these things only leaves the heart longing for more. Christian contentment is found in trusting in God's provision rather than placing our hope in what we can acquire. And then we are to be a witness for God in this privilege. Live such good lives among the pagans, the non-believers, that though they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We were actually created to feast on glory, but we have sinned and fallen short of it. It has become unattainable. No wonder then that those made for the eternal, for the eternal are by nature discontented and with the temporal. We try the broken cisterns, but their waters fail and mock us until in God's providence we learn there is none but Christ, as the old hymn states. Now, none but Christ can satisfy, none other name for me. There's a love in life and lasting joy, Lord Jesus, found in thee. The days of our discontent, our discontentment, no, turn them into the days of our contentment because of Jesus Christ. There's a perspective, a practice, and a privilege. I want to end with this. 
in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 through 3 from the King James. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside. I will now turn aside and see this great sight. God holds out the possibility of transformation. One day when the human race had not heard a word of hope for a long time, a man named Moses walked past a shrub. He'd seen it before, perhaps a hundred times. Only this time it was different. This time the turn comes. This time the wardrobe opens into Narnia. This time the bush is on fire with the presence of God. And Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. Everything turned on Moses being willing to turn aside, to interrupt his daily routine, to pay attention to the presence of God. He didn't have to. He could have looked the other way as many of us would. He would have just missed the exodus, the people of Israel, his calling, the reason for his existence, he would have missed knowing God. But he didn't miss it. He stopped and turned aside. What I want us to do, Jim had the same thought at the beginning of the service. I want us to take just 60 seconds. I'm going to watch it. It'll, for some of us, it'll seem like an eternity. For some of us, it may be the longest time we've ever not looked at our phones. I'm, I'm serious. I want us to take 60 seconds. To turn aside. To turn aside. the distractions and to see that the bush is still burning God is still speaking and where we are is holy ground and when we're looking at God we do not see ourselves 60 seconds, turn aside, let's start.
Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Lord, we thank you for these few minutes that we have spent together. Why is it so hard to turn aside? Refresh us, make us content in you, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.
Moses didn't stay at the burning bush. He was commissioned to go, to take that experience with him and the challenges that were ahead of him. The disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration wanted to stay there. Jesus said,